everybody 360 digital closing bell podcast here i am your humble correspondent michael tanner joined for another week ahead podcast for march 30th 2020 recording this on a beautiful sunday afternoon time stands about 11 22 and change am i'm live from an undisclosed location here in denver and i'm joined virtually by our ep director publisher of oil and gas 360.com Stu turley he's coming to us from dallas how you doing Stu? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, I sure appreciate it. We had another great week. Uh, lots of news this past week. Mm-hmm. And uh, hey, uh, I'm kind of sore today. I just finished up, you know, 160 miles on my trainer. So I'm using my uh, bike trainer for the uh, COVID-19 sanity. So I bet you those, I mean, talk about stocks to watch. Peloton would have been a good one to buy right before COVID-19. But an unbelievable. That's awesome. So 160 miles. 160 this week so that uh, is that's crazy well you have to keep us updated on how many you're doing a week we'll have to keep like a chart for you see if you can beat it every week (laughs) little little accountability (laughs) exactly so we got a great show lined up for you i'm launching two new segments that are really going to become staples in our week ahead podcast first is actually with my good friend nick barry who's really going to who's really going to keep us tapped in with the financial sides of the oil and gas markets and i'm excited to chat with him i'm going to ask him coming up at the end about the chevron oxy deal the second interview we've got and more it's not an interview i'm more let's say it's a segment that we've got coming we're going to call steven on the phone he's the founder of patronus energy he's really going to keep us all updated with what's happening in the midstream business these are itunes and spotify's exclusive i'm going to give them a call right after we end this live video so please 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 if you want to hear these two great interviews please check them out on itunes and spotify you can also see them on www.oilandgas360.com if you listen to the audio but first me and Stu are going to start out with talking with an article that was written at oilandgas360.com about some of the bailouts for shale and how that sort of relates to national security i'm going to check us in with the oil levels we'll check out the new cot numbers a very interesting story is being told there economic calendar big big day on friday for the upcoming week before we dive into any of that, please, please, please. Oh, I forgot to put, we're also going to look a company to watch. I won't tease it. You're going to have to listen to the end. But before we get into that, there's just a little clerical work I need to show. We're live on iTunes and Spotify, and we have two new segments, like I mentioned, that are going to be exclusive on the. So please follow WW, or excuse me, the Digital 360 Closing Bell, iTunes and Spotify, YouTube, find us at Entercom. Twitter, you can find them at Entercom. LinkedIn, www.oilandgas360.com. You can follow Entercom there. You can follow me there. You can follow Stu. Connect with us on LinkedIn. We'd love to chat with you. You can also email me at mtanner at entercominc.com. We're launching two new interviews This uh, that will be launched uh, Monday and Tuesday. One's going to be the interview with Rare Petro and Anthony McDaniels. He's a fascinating story. Stu really enjoyed talking with him. And really what I liked about this interview with Anthony, and, and, and I don't want to get into it too much, but he started a company in 2015, 2016 during the middle of the first downturn that happened and he's grown a company and has been become very successful. I've, I think it's going to stand as a great, you know, use case for people who might think to do that. Another one we uh, we're going to drop his interview with David Forsberg. He runs Ascent Energy Ventures, which is, you know, I think one of the most cutting edge tech funds out there. And, and he's in the middle of, 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 of taking some capital deployment. Right? It's a fascinating interview. And I hope you check them out. We've got a bunch of other ones coming up, but please check out all that. Subscribe to the digital closing bell, our email, over 30,000 subscribers. Can you be one of them? Visit us, www.oilandgas360.com. 
And with that, let's go and dive into our first segment, which we're really going to talk about is bailouts for oil and gas. And there's this really great article. I'm, I'm shamelessly in the It's on oilandgas360.com. And really what it's titled, Exxon may crush bailout hopes for suffering fracking companies. And, 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 and really there, there, there's an overview that, that, that I think is very, is very interesting. And because this ties into a lot of the stuff we've been talking about on the digital closing bell ticker um, which launches every day on, which launches every day, two o'clock, you can find it in the digital closing bell. But one of the main themes of those headlines every single day has really been, is the government going to get involved with the oil markets? And the first, the first tease that happened was that there was going to be direct payments to shale oil and gas companies. It was legitimately talks that we're just going to give money to the energy industry and specifically shale independent oil, public oil and gas companies. And that was quickly shot down by both environmentalists in Congress. You're not going to get, you know, as, as much as we do want that to happen, that's not going to get passed via Congress. So the next idea was, and, and I mentioned this, I think this was a Thursday of last week, which was the SPR. And let's go out and let's fill up the SPR. There's approximately about a hundred million barrels that we can fill that up with. Let's go ahead and buy some oil help prop the price of oil. And that was something that was floated out. Let's do that. And so the original numbers from the Department of Energy is they were looking for about $3 billion to purchase about 77 million barrels for the SPR. Well, that looked like it was going to happen when the stimulus and the $4 trillion stimulus closed this week. Unfortunately, the $3 billion was not allocated for the Department of Energy to do that. So they were sort of left in this limbo phase. And, you know, really there are still this need for small to mid majors to, to, to have this because if the oil price continues to fall, we're going to have to continue to import more and more oil. And that really leads into, it really becomes a national security issue. And this is something that Stu brought up in the, in the beginning. I want to bring him in upon it, how, you know, the more we begin to cut back production while, okay, that helps cut, bring up the price of oil, it sort of lends itself to almost a national security issue. And I want you to talk a little bit more about that. Oh, you bet. Hey, thanks, Michael. This was a big, big week in news. And uh, a couple of things uh, really happened on national security. Uh, our uh, wonderful oil companies have turned the corner, you know, uh, January, December, or December, we're energy independent. We're, uh, you know, exporting uh, one of the largest exporters in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, this week, in uh, one of the articles, I have to give a shout out to Sheffield. He is the CEO and president of um, uh, Pioneer uh, Resources. He uh, appeared on uh, CNBC's Fast Money, and uh, he was on there with Brian Kelly, and he went just totally um, dead on accurate. I mean, it was mm -hmm. very nice. It is on the Oil & Gas 360 uh, we had it in a, uh, an op-ed by Justin uh, McCula. He wrote the outstanding piece. And uh, when we talk about uh, Sheffield, it's not just a battle of uh, Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia. It's about mm -hmm. the majors against everybody else. And yep. so the majors really don't care what's going on. They can survive the $17 oil that I think. Yeah, they have access to lines of credit or are stable enough where a bank will continue to lend to them in these type of times. You bet. And then you take a look at the smaller cap companies um, and they, unless they are uh, well managed before now, 
they ain't going to make it. And there's a couple quotes in there that were uh, pretty frightening. And, um, you know, when he sits back and says, uh, we've had opposition from Exxon who controls API and uh, uh, TXOGA. They prefer all the independents mm -hmm. go bankrupt and then pick up the scraps. Oh my gosh, he's calling <laughs> out. Oh, Cal, I mean, that's just horrible. And, and then Kelly uh, from CNBC Fast Money goes it back and says, so then, uh, is it uh, the big super majors uh, against the mid and small cap companies? He said, exactly. That's definitely what's going on. And then the, the really frightening quote, uh, Michael, was, what happens, Sheffield said, do you know there's about 74 public independents that are, there's only going to be about 10 left at the end of 2021 that have decent balance sheets. The mm. rest are going to become ghosts or zombies. It, wow. I, I saw the interview. I saw it both live and I actually retweeted it. You can follow me at mtanner underscore one. Just another shameless plug. I'm telling you, follow me. I'm the most, I'm the most, you can get a hold of me anywhere. Anyway, but I actually retweeted this. It's a five-minute interview, and I know you can find there's a, there's a better three-and-a-half-minute segment you can find at oilandgas360.com, but it's an unbelievable interview. You, you, you're exactly right. He cuts through the noise, and exactly what he says, you know, 10 out of 74 companies, and that's going to kind of be a reoccurring theme that we're going to talk about in our one companies to watch is, is, is that one of the 10 that we think, and anywhere from oil energy services to oil and gas company. But one thing I wanted to – bring up real quick that was in this article by Justin was that, you know, when we talked about that 77 million barrels of, of that we were going to, uh, of spare capacity that was going to be used to be filled up with this 3 billion purchase. The problem is, and this is what I found very, very interesting is that around 60% of the current oil in the SPR is what's considered sour oil. And the problem is the, the, the oil that we would need to be purchasing is some of that WTI from the overproduction that's going on right now. So we can't even put it in the SPR. And so it's, it, there's so much going on and, 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 and Scott Sheffield is completely right that it's, you know, this is turning into a national security issue for us. The more we have to import oil, whether or not low oil prices, price, you know, price oil is low, it does not lend itself well to, you know, you know, the, the overall national security landscape and it's, it's, it's going to get dicey. Oh, you bet. And Hey, I want to give a shout out to our uh, intercom uh, team uh, they have been involved, uh, not only uh, Dan uh, Genevieve's our director for consulting services, uh, he's actually gotten some uh, stuff written where he's, they're actually uh, now consulting with some legislature, and I think that they're dead on right. So not only uh, Aaron and Dan uh, having some good ideas, they're actually getting it uh, involved with the politicians, and that's what we have to do. We have to let the politicians know what we need to help defend our oil companies. Exactly. I don't want to tease an interview that we're trying to set up, but we have a really, really good guest lined up that, it, that specifically Dan is going to, you know, really going to get into the weeds about some of this ESG and some of this public policy stuff. Because I think that's where the, you know, we can talk all we want about how, you know, how good oil and gas is. But, you know, let's be honest, if, 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 if certain people get elected to, you know, the presidency, I mean, it could be stroke of a pen, federal land, no drilling. That's 25% of land gone instantly. So, I mean, that's, that's the power that, that, that those type of people control. 
You bet. And so, you know, enough with the politics talk. Let's get into the fun stuff. Oil price levels and the commitment of traders. Some of the, some of my favorite stuff. But before we get into that, remember all of this information in specifically this segment, but most of this podcast, all of this research, it's done by Sandstone Capital Group. They're an incredible research advisory. They do hedging. They have a diverse set of derivatives that you can access. You can, you know, both law and small, small producers, you know, their risk management tools are unbelievable. There are great guys over there and they have every type of solution that can fit your need from a risk management perspective. Like I said, research is unbelievable. They do all the numbers for this email Connor Sandstone CG.com. Give them a call 949-561-1818 extension two for more information. And please make sure to mention this podcast. You'll get a little discount, but we don't get credit. If you don't mention this podcast, you got to mention this podcast and they get, they will help you out over with the great guys. All right. So last week, not to continue to toot my own horn, but the twenty, but the two levels we had were, were excellent. It was more of a ranging market last week. You know, we talked about it in our Thursday podcast. Friday wasn't really a great day, and that's what we sort of missed in that Friday podcast. Was Friday brings it down to the level that we're currently at, which is twenty one fifty one, and there was just a lot of bearish news that came out. People didn't really look. Um, traders don't look too pessimistic or optimistic that this COVID-19 stuff is going to go away. The demand numbers are, you know, you know, two weeks ago or, you know, a week and a half ago, it was 4 million that Goldman Sachs was estimating was going to be ripped off. Now you can find estimates 10 to 20. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if by middle of next week, you know, we know it's 20 million barrels being uh, taken off in terms of demand. So, you know, you're seeing, you know, crude oil is going to open up here in a couple of hours. It's, it's 2151. In an upside case, you know, you know, if, if, if you're a bull this week, I see two levels that I like just based off volume 2259. There's a, there's a big stack of volume right there. And I think that's your first level of, uh, you know, support if you are resistance, excuse me, if we get up there. Otherwise, if you're, if, if you're, if you're an extreme bull and, and, and you see some of these numbers coming out on, 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 on some of the lower sites, specifically when we get into some of the um, numbers in our economic calendar, maybe 2351, that's our point of control for the entire week. You know, I, you know, if, if, if we're being honest, I see the bear case and the bear case is scary. I think it's $17 is your floor. Um, you know, it'll probably stop a couple places along the way, but the problem is we just don't have that good a frame of reference. I think, you know, you know, I think depending on what these numbers come out, you know, when you do some of the correlations between how much is the projections versus how much the falls happen, you can kind of map out. Well, if it's, you know, if it's, if it's four, if 4 million barrels was the original estimate was worth $10, well, what does the next 15 mean? And you can sort of, that's how you would begin to sort of parse out these floors on where you think it's going to go. And, you know, when we look at the numbers, I think it's 17, you know, and if, if you're, if you're a bear, I think that's the number you look for, you know, probably continue to, you know, uh, a chunk its way down. When we look at the commitment of traders, and this is really what's interesting is, you know, I would have, you know, I, I, last week we, we, we postulated that you're going to see a large number of short positions continue to appear on the market. And while there was a little bit, there was a really interesting story that the commitment of traders tell. First off, when we look at um, the processors, merchants, and process users category. So I'll, I'm going to put this link to the commitment of traders up on the show notes so you can take a look. And when you look at that line item, processors, merchants, processors, remember those are hedgers. Those are people and swap dealers. Remember, those are hedging. Those are companies. What are they? Do? Are their hedgings? Are their hedges cashing in, and are they not? So when we look at the column for positions on that, and in the short side, we've lost forty-one thousand contracts on the processor side. Well, that's clearly means one thing: 
all of these hedges just got cashed in because oil is tank. Most of these floors were, most of these floors were, you know, 30, $35 a barrel. And these, the lower ends of these collars got activated. The interesting part is longs are getting cut dramatically. And that shows you another thing, oil companies and specifically oil companies who hedge, they're not very optimistic about where oil price is going or else they'd be loading up on their long positions. Why would you not? This is a great time to, this is a great time. This would be a great time to buy some oil. It's low. Oh, buy and hold is be a great time. So that's a very interesting number. The second column that I really, you know, the, the second column that I really love and is the managed money column. And then people always say, well, what are the big boys doing? What are the hedge funds that trade oil? What are they doing? The hedge funds that are trading oil are loading up on longs. 10,000 contracts added last week, only 3,000 added on the short. So there are about 2,000, 200,000 contract, 250,000 contracts on the long side, 75,000 contracts on the short side. So they are net long and adding to their long position. Now, that doesn't mean anything other than that's just what those guys think is going to happen. It can barely clearly rip down and we'll see what happens. But if, you, if you're interested in what the hedge funds think, what the professionals think, they're actually bullish on this week. And, and, and so if, if, if you already like those, those two levels on the bull side, there you go. There's another thing that you can just take to look at. When we move into our trading calendar, API number, API crude inventory is going to drop 2.30 Pacific time, or excuse me, mountain time. Wednesday, we're going to have crude inventory levels at 8.30. We saw 1.6 million, uh, million barrel build last time. You know, Stu mentioned he thinks it's going to be a lot bigger. You have any sense of what you think that number is going to be? Um, uh, no idea. But, you know, the midstream folks are uh, really squeaking uh, very loud from the standpoint that uh, they're afraid uh, companies are going to use their pipelines for storage. You know, Michael, you and I talked about all of the uh, uh, tankers being contracted yep. everybody's buying storage and so i you know the midstream folks are not paid for storage they're paid for moving the uh, product and we're te oh, i'm going to go ahead and just tease this segment on thursday we're going to talk about the storage issue i think there's a a a, a large a, a lot much larger discussion to have around the storage so no i'm glad you brought that up um you know it's probably going to be you know uh, forecast i'm looking at it right now they say 2.2 It'll be interesting. You know, crude inventory levels are just, a, it's a hardcore trading level. Um, so when you're looking at the intraday price, specifically on the CL, um, you can actually make, you know, one of the, one of the best times. I, I, I love trading oil around 830 crude inventories because there's a 45 second window between when that number drops. You can really, you know, if you, if you can catch the algos a lot, you know, it's about 80% of this is algos right now. You can sort of just ride the wave. I consider it just, I, and my analogy is it's surfing. You can just catch the wave. You can let these algos ride you at least a little bit. Generally, it's not that easy, but you know, if, if you do like day trading oil and gas, um, specifically that crude oil, crude inventories are a great time, specifically now when we're probably going to see bigger numbers. You can have these bigger swings. So remember, we don't give investment advice, but I love trading crude inventory levels. Friday, we got a big day, not necessarily specifically for oil and gas, but it's for the entire economy. As we know, COVID-19 and coronavirus has completely you know, really tanked the finance, you know, the equity markets, but it's really just put an extreme damper on the economy. Restaurants across the country are shut down. Unemployment and non-farm payrolls come out and it's going to be a, they're going to be negative numbers. It's going to be red Friday. You're going to see a massive sell-off depending on what that level is. I mean, they're expecting low, low numbers. So if they come in a little better than expected, maybe the market rallies a little bit. And that's really what you have to, you know, bake into the equation here. Unemployment and non-farm payrolls are expected to be 
horrible numbers, very low percentages. And these numbers will get more refined as we get closer. So when you're looking at, well, what's this going to do to the market? It's again, what does it do to the forecast? What does the market think is going to happen? Because the ES is already that ES contract, which is the, you know, the S&P 500 futures contract. They've already priced in horrible, horrible, horrible unemployment numbers and horrible, horrible non-farm payrolls. So if these numbers come out even a little better than expected, these come out, you know, not, they're not going to come out good, but if they come out better than the forecast, we might see even a little, you know, market rally there. And that's, you know, so that's, if, you, if you're looking to day trade that day, watch out for those, please. This is, these are those times when you have to go get um, a new squawk and there's plenty of services out there you can get. I don't, you know, I subscribe to one, but I don't like them enough where I, uh, where I'll shout out who they are. Um, but get yourself a new squawk um, if you really want to day trade, especially these, the, the, you know, days like these when news is coming out like that. Anything on that trading calendar you're looking forward to, Stu? Um, you got me surprised by that one. I'm <laughs> okay. No problem. Well, the, uh, the next thing we're going to go ahead and do, and, and, and this is sort of our final segment before we go ahead and give Nick and Steven a call, we're going to dive into our one company to watch. And this week we have Liberty oil field services. And I know you can give me a little overview of that. Stu. Give me what, give, give me an overview of Liberty oil field services. Oh, you bet. And, uh, I'll tell you, Liberty frack is one of the best, run companies out there. You and I talked about uh, uh, you get good management, you get good numbers. Uh, but Liberty Frack is just out of the park. Not only are they well run, they're doing their ESG uh, right out of the park. I mean, they take care of their employees, they take care of their company. They presented at uh, the Intercom conferences and have been a very good supporter of uh, Intercom. And quite honestly, uh, Chris, the CEO, is a very brilliant guy with regards to oil and gas um, and the importance of energy and poverty. Uh, that being said, their numbers are uh, really good. And when we talked about earlier Sheffield at the CEO of uh, Pioneer, he said yeah. there's going to be 10 that survive. They're going to be one of my 10 that says they're going to survive in the oil field service. So, um, yeah, and I definitely we're gonna have to ask Nick about that Sheffield interview because that's interesting. I hope he caught it as well. But uh, really, I couldn't agree more with you. Honestly, you know, Liberty Oil Field is you know you know Liberty Frack. They're probably the third. You know, they're probably the third biggest. When you you know Cal Frack is is fairly big, but I would say they're they're in that group of five of the major players, and specifically that group of three that sit right below Halliburton and Schlumberger. But when you look at the financials, it just is. It's actually impressive considering the energy services market right now. These guys are market capitalization of about 216 million, which is fairly small. Net debt, 94 million, not terrible and, and, or not great. But when you look at the fact that they have free cash flow, $71 million a year, their last year revenue was about 2 billion. Gross profit, you know, MRQ is, you know, they're, 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 the MRQ is about 9 million. So they actually, after debt servicing their debt, they make 9 million free cash flow of 71 million. That, 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 that's a good number for an oil field services company. And, and you know, when you look at Halliburton and Schlumberger's uh, uh, financial table, it does not look like that. It doesn't look like that. And you mentioned it. That's a theme in these companies to watch. And I think you guys will catch on at some point. You know, when, if you're looking for a company to invest, Stu mentioned, it's good management. And, you know, uh, uh, ESG is such a great mm -hmm. uh, thing happening in the oil and gas industry right now. And the expertise at Intercom uh, to deal with consult ESG consulting uh, is phenomenal. 
And if anybody's looking at ESG, how to do it right, Liberty Frack, good management, good numbers, ESG. Uh, there you go. No, it's, 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 it's very true. And that's especially the, you know, the, the ESG with the way the market is, is, is moving now. These are going to be the people that you're going to have to have a plan in place. And that's why I think a lot of this, the stuff we're going to come up is going to be focusing around that. Well, so Liberty Oil Field, we'll give them their uh, ticker is LBRT, currently trading at $2.64. So you want to talk about a portfolio, something you can pick up a large amount of right now and really stack that portfolio for a long I'm just saying, we don't give investment advice, but if you do, um, I, I would be bullish on these guys. And I, I would agree with Stu. I think in the energy service space, these are going to be one of the 10 companies that make it out. I think that's everything. Is there anything before we let these guys go and give Nick and Steven a call? Anything more, Stu, uh, you want to chat about? Uh, no, I'd just like to give a shout out to all the frontline doctors, uh, supporters, also the frontline supporters in the state and local. Uh, we all have family that are in the doctors and my sister-in-law is a, uh, uh, a nurse in the front lines and, uh, we'll be praying for all of the doctors and frontline, uh, first responders. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Stu. And I appreciate you bringing that up, but we've got Nick Barry on the line. So without further ado, we're going to tap him in. Nick is our expert and resident energy finance reservoir engineer. His background is both in reservoir engineering and in the financial side. We're going to bring him on as a weekly guest and entrust him in order to keep us updated with what's going on on the reservoir finance side. And we're excited to have him. And first off, I, I want to chat with you a little bit. And, and the first kind of question I want to get into is, is talking about the deal that every Everybody is talking about right now in the OG space. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Mike, thanks for having me on the show. Um, the deal we'll talk about today um, is, is one a lot of people are familiar with that is being tossed around is a, a potential Chevron and Oxy deal. Um, 11 months ago, as we know, Chevron attempted to acquire Anadarko for around $50 billion. Oxy came in and one upped them, um, acquired Anadarko for $57 billion. That deal closed on August 8th. Since then, it's been a pretty rough ride for Oxy, to say the least. The share price has been down almost 80%. Um, their market cap now is, is, is just around $10 billion. Um, so an interesting opportunity arises. If you're Chevron, you're thinking, man, we were, we were, we were ready. We were ready to go to acquiring Anadarko. Now we can acquire basically Oxy with Anadarko for you know, somewhere around the same ballpark of the pricing. Uh, the issue here, you know, is 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 um, Oxy took a lot, took on a lot of debt for the acquisition um, to make it possible. Um, Moody's has downgraded this debt to junk, saying, "quote unquote," it's significantly compromising its financial flexibility to confront to confront collapse in oil prices. Um, Oxy's is really not generating a lot of free cash flow. Uh, anywhere close to cover this debt, um, you know, but I think this is an interesting opportunity for Chevron. I think, I think that acquiring Oxy is a very unique portfolio. They're such a leader in CO2, EOR, and low break-even projects. That's really competitive at a low oil price. They have some really solid tier one acreage they've acquired from Anadarko. Um, I think it's a really big ESG um, opportunity for Chevron and being able to take advantage of big water recycling projects and reducing of emissions and flaring. Um, 
I think obviously right now it's pretty unstable market conditions. It's a pretty high risk. And I think, you know, Oxy's obviously really struggling. I don't think that there, there's any really positive light in the near term future. I think you can kind of sit around if you're, you're Chevron and wait and, um, you know, and kind of wait this one out. You've got the risk of big other guys coming in, um, Exxon's and, and other majors of the world also viewing this acquisition. But I think it's something that you got to get your cards ready to when, when the time is right to make an offer on this one. Okay. I, I push back a little bit, maybe because I, you know, when you talk about, I think the understatement of the century is they have a little bit of debt. They have a lot of debt and they have a lot of it specifically in preferred stock to our man Warren Buffett, which is to the tune of about $200 million a quarter or about $800 million a year. That's something that Oxy would, or that's something that Chevron would have to take on and continue to pay. That's preferred stock paid out of retainers. Almost a billion dollars a year that's going to be coming off your expenses that literally goes to nothing. It's, it goes to nothing because now the, the, the underlying value of what Warren Buffett gave t- to um, Ox in order to acquire Darby, it's now been basically reduced to nothing. So I think that is the biggest issue overcoming this is the amount of debt that they have. I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's so large that I don't think it becomes it, it, it because, but I could be wrong. No, I think you bring up uh, a great point that obviously the huge hesitation of this, you know, Buffett's sitting back looking pretty cash in his 8%. I think that, again, that, that puts Oxy in such a tough position. They're, they're really going to struggle. I just don't see any, any need to act quickly on this one. Um, I just think that they're just going to, you know, you, can, you struggle for so long that the, the portfolio of Oxy um, becomes attractive enough to overcome that issue. And I think a person like, a guy like Chevron can come in and really take advantage of economies of scale and a lot of aspects um, in the Oxy portfolio, which I think it, it, it makes attractive. But you're absolutely right in that um, Oxy is, is in their debt, their debt situation. They are not in a good spot. No, but now you're talking economies of scale. You're speaking my language. One quick before I let you go. Did you catch the Sheffield interview on uh, CNBC by chance? I did, Mike. Okay, so to give everybody a background, because I want to talk about this, because I have this little game I want to play, but Scott Sheff is the CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources. On Thursday, he went mm-hmm. on Fast Money and talked about all things you know, oil and gas, specifically about the, the, the Saudi-Russian debate. You can actually go to my Twitter and find it, at mtanner underscore one. It's a great, great, great watch. It's about a five-minute video. But at the end, he mentioned this really, he mentioned this really interesting fact, and that was of the seven, around uh, 74 major uh, public independence, his recommendation or his thoughts is that there's only going to be about 10 of them with decent balance sheets. And I want to kick mm-hmm. it to Nick. And if you could give me a, a, any one of those, if you, do you have any list put together? What, who do you think some of those 10 companies are going to be? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's very interesting takes uh, from Mr. Sheffield. Um, I definitely agree a lot with where he's coming from. I think You've got the 10 guys are going to be um, these majors that can withstand the low for long price environment. And I think these guys in tier one acreage, um, if you're an operator kind of outside of uh, with some fringe acreage right now, you are going to be struggling. Um, You're just the economics in your, in your wells are, are really, I don't see any way that you're going to be able to compete with the tier one guys. I mean, I think if you're a tier one operator, you, you kind of sit back and, and if you can withstand the storm, you'll be, you'll be in a good spot. 
And describe for everyone when you talk about tier one acreage for someone like, you know, for someone who may not know what that means, what, what would you describe as tier mm-hmm. one acreage? Yeah, we're talking, we're talking core acreage. So, I mean, um, you know, it's all about the rock and oil and gas, right. And, and having the best rock is, is really what it comes down to. So you're talking the thickest reservoirs um, in the core basins of the U S um, in a spot where there's um, large um, takeaway projects in place and in a very proven area is, is where you want to be at now. And can you give, can you give an example of the, you know, maybe a County or a field that you, that, that, that would fit into this category, maybe put a name to the face. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we, you know, everyone, the Permian Basin's a hot one that gets thrown around um, a lot, obviously. I think there's some really good core Midland, Midland Basin and, and Delaware Basin out there acreage, um, you know, with still a lot of, a lot of proved inventory that, that guys are sitting on. Um, really expensive if you're trying to make an acquisition to get in there right now. But I think if you have that acreage locked down, I think you're, you're in at least a good a spot as you can be in the energy sector. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's what I would do from a trader perspective. I would say, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take what, what, what the market is telling me would, would, what experts like Nick are telling me are say tier one acreage, whether it's, you know, uh, Midland County, whether it's, you know, s- s- somewhere stuff in there or, you know, up in the pocket, some of this McKenzie County stuff I've been reading on is unbelievable. With the number of duck wells you might be able to come in and get, there's some interesting opportunities there, but specifically take this tier one acreage, figure out who legacy owns them, who can operate in the juice. Those are companies I would buy. I mean, we don't give investment advice in this podcast, but if we did, no. I mean, that, that, that's how my, that's how my, that's how my thought process works. I mean, am I off there as a, as a trader? No. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, people got a lot to learn from the legendary mind of Mr. Tanner. And um, again, no investment advice, but I think it's definitely on the right page. And we might be seeing a newsletter come out for me around this basin. I like this. This, this gets me going. Well, Nick, hey, I, I really appreciate it. you joining me. Before I let you go, is there, how can people get a hold of you here? Yeah, thanks again, Mike, for having me on the show. Um, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. It's, it's Nick Barry again, um, you know. There'll be my email uh, after the show. Feel free to send me a message, an email. Would love to connect. Would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. Yeah, I will make sure to get all of those questions to you. Don't you worry about that. You are the expert and not me. And speaking of experts, we've got Stephen Barrow waiting on the line. Stephen is the CEO, operator, extraordinaire of Patronus Energy, one of the best engineering management and consulting companies when it comes to midstream. They do everything from high-level strategy, help you roll out gas processing plants, everything in the field. You can find him and you can connect with him in the information below. Stephen, thanks for joining us. First off, I just want people, before we dive into specific companies, I want you to give the people an idea of we know what's going on with the oil price right now but can you give people an example of what's and kind of an overview of what's going on with the midstream business and how this has been affecting everybody yeah excellent question thanks so um that's a million dollar question right or for a lot of other people it's more than a million dollar question <laughs> um how is this impacting midstream it, it definitely hurts i mean everyone's hurting industry-wide no doubt but um uh, what's unique about the midstream space, it's a little bit insulated from all the price volatility. And so, uh, and the reason being is because midstream infrastructure is built on financing that's long-term and that financing is also built on contracts that are fee-based. Uh, so it, really there's minimum volume commitments that producers sign up for. So regardless of even if they're flowing or not, 
they're going to pay certain fees to the midstream company just for being available. Um, and then for every single barrel of oil or uh, you know, unit of gas that they're transporting, they're paying a fixed fee. And so for that reason, um, midstream companies have a little bit of insulation between, you know, from this price volatility. It that- makes it makes sense because the capital seems like it's really tied up. And I want to, before you dive into it, I want to touch on one point there that I thought you found is very interesting. And that is the, you know, the volume commitments almost require that the capital that you have to get spent. These mainstream companies are sort of insulated. You mentioned something. Very so what happens, for example, when these companies go bankrupt, what happens when, you know, you know, I've seen a video that's about, you know, they're predicting 60 public EMP companies are about to go bankrupt. What happens to those volume commitments that happen? Do, do, you know, that, what happens? You said they're locked in. What, what goes on in that situation? Yeah. Great question. I mean, so even through bankruptcy, those contracts stay in place. I mean, they consider those, uh, contracts to quote unquote run with the land. And so what that means is that, um, you know, that the gas gathering or crude oil gathering agreements, they're tied to the lease and mm-hmm. they buy even if the company that originally signed them goes bankrupt. So um, say your EMP company goes bankrupt and another person buys them out of bankruptcy. They, the bankruptcy judge in the courts will uphold the same fee structure generally uh, on the other side of bankruptcy. So that's a really interesting point that I think, you know, because we're an energy finance podcast, I think we need to more. That is something that I'm going to now be start looking for. You know, I'm, I'm getting up to speed with the, how this midstream business, just like you guys are. That's something that I'm going to start looking for is, okay, when, the, when you're talking about these companies that are going bankrupt, what are their commitments that they have to, that they have to instill on some of these, even these new, I assume these newer pipelines have much bigger volume commitments and it's a lot of the older ones that usually have some of that lower cost. Is that sort of how it works? Yeah, exactly. So basically, I mean, like the, the way that commitments were done, you know, way back in the day is they actually, uh, midstream companies would get a percent of proceeds, right? So they, they took ownership of some percentage of the crude or the gas. Um, but um, when you build infrastructure and, and it's tied so close to that commodity mm-hmm. and it's volatile like that, then um, it really makes financing kind of tough and hard. And so um, really move towards this fee-based structure and a minimum volume commitment structure just to make it possible to, to put the money into infrastructure like this. So like, for example, in West Texas, um, you know, they've been hurting for capacity for gas takeaway capacity. And, you know, there was a point there where gas just couldn't move so that you actually wasn't worth anything. In fact, it was worth negative. Producers had to pay mm. fees just to, you know, for space on a pipeline. So, um, you know, Kinder Morgan built a new pipeline. Other operators built a big pipeline to connect um, the Waha gas hub all the way to the Gulf Coast. And, you know, when they just announced it, the day they announced it, they, they had full volume commitments. <laughs> just because Ooh. pressure was so badly needed. Uh, it, and, and so, like the field of dream structure, if you build it, they will come, doesn't work. And it doesn't happen that way. Um, in order to build, they need to have some assurances in place that are going to last years, right? So their financing is built long-term. They know like if you're going to build a gas plant, it's going to take a year to build a gas plant. And then it's going to take another year just to permit the thing. So, you know, inherently the moment you sign the commitment to build it versus the day that you're going to operate for the first time, it's already going to be a different market. And so you have to build some insulation in there. That makes total sense. That was going to be my next question. You already answered, which was bringing up these infrastructure projects that I'm sure, it, you know, you can't lay pipe 
that quickly. It takes a while to make these pipelines. So that's, I think it was, that's a really good analysis. And I think that makes a lot of sense. So moving forward, do you see any companies that are well positioned that, you know, obviously it seems like there's some sort of insulation, but obviously there's going to be turnover. Do you see that there are companies who have insulated themselves from some things and, and are better maybe proposed to move forward in this sort of different oil market? Oh yeah. I mean, um, I, I, there's a couple that I keep on my radar. One of them uh, in particular is Meritage. They're a midstream company based out of Denver, Colorado, and they, they operate now in the Powder River Basin. And so uh, they're one of these companies that um, they, they were able to get an acreage dedication. Uh, and again, this is a contract for gathering and processing and transport that's tied to the leases. Mm-hmm. So a big section of dedicated acreage um, you know, with producers uh, in the Powder River Basin, producers like, you know, Oxy or EOG or, um, you know, some some smaller operators that are up there. And so um, while everyone in that basin has cut back their future capital spend, maybe their future drilling, there's still existing production that is, you know, going to be sent to Meritage uh, for transport and processing. In fact, they just, they barely commissioned a brand new gas processing plant, the steam mm-hmm. plant. Um, and so they're ready to take, you know, even more gas. And, and so they're positioned really well, just a physical basket of assets. But then in, in today's world, like you really need to evaluate the management team. And, um, you yes. know, has a stellar management team. They've, they've done private equity deals for years now, successfully, you know, flipped several in, in different price environments. And so, um, they got a good head on their shoulders. In fact, they, they say that they are long-termers and they, they're interested in preserving their team. And so, um, like you don't hear talks of, you know, everyone's wondering like, well, we're you know, about layoffs and things like that. And they, they're interested in doing everything they can to preserve their team and their knowledge base. So really solid outlook for Meritage. Oh, good. No, that's definitely a company to watch. And Remember, we don't give investment advice on this podcast, but we do give you companies that we're looking for. We do be honest. So I really appreciate the overview. Steven, how can people get a hold of you before we let you go? Oh, you can always find me on LinkedIn for sure. Um, or, you know, my website is, uh, you know, for Patronus Energy. You can find my contact information there. Or, uh, you know, you can always hit me up on my phone. And uh, Michael, make sure you put all this in the show notes. I will do that. Yes. Hey, I appreciate you joining me. We look forward to having you as a weekly guest. Awesome. Thank you. So much good information in both those interviews. I appreciate both those guests. First off, before I let you guys go, please follow us, www.oilandgas360.com. Review, subscribe, review, unsubscribe. Do whatever you need to do to make the iTunes algorithm and the Spotify algorithm love us. Please follow the digital closing bell. You can, again, sign www.oilandgas360.com. I am excited. We'll have a digital ticker coming the rest of this week. Hopefully you listen to this on Monday and we will see what happens. I'm going to let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing Bell Week Ahead podcast. I will see you this afternoon for the digital ticker.